God, we, we just open our hearts to you. Father, we lay aside distractions. We lay aside the busyness of life. And God, right now, we just fix our focus and our gaze on you. And Father, we just ask that you would speak to each one of us personally what you want to say to us. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Help us to receive your word and to apply it to our lives today, God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, I have been loving our series on courage. Are you feeling brave and very courageous yet? Yes? Okay, good. <laughs> As I was saying it, I thought, wow, this is a risky question. They might not respond. <laughs> Yay, I'm glad you are. But, you know, we've been looking at scenes from the life of Joshua because Joshua's life was just such a great example of courage. And so we've been looking at his life, learning lessons from courage through his life. And, you know, we've seen how he led 43 thousand people across the Jordan River when the water stood up like walls and they passed through on dry ground and we saw how they got victory at Jericho and that was so awesome and then they went further and went to Ai and whoops they got a little bit ahead of God and had a little defeat there but then they got back on track with God and then God led them back to Ai and they had a great victory there and then we stopped last week we kind of put Joshua on pause to look at someone else out of the story of Jericho and Ashley brought a beautiful message last week we learned some lessons on courage from the life of Rahab and this week we are going to continue on looking at a few more scenes from Joshua's life all right the main scene I want to look at from the life of Joshua today is Joshua's encounter with the Gibeonites now let me just give you the overview because Joshua's encounter with the Gibeonites may not be the freshest thing on your mind this morning. So I'll just help you out and give you the overview of this, okay? So Joshua and the children of Israel, they, they've crossed the Jordan. They're starting to possess the promised land. They've seen victories as they're starting to take territory in that land that's been promised to them. And all the kings on that side of the Jordan have started hearing about this. And they've started hearing about these victories that they're having and all of these amazing things that God's doing. And they start getting a little bit afraid. Oh no, Joshua's coming our way. Joshua's gonna take our land. And they were getting fearful. And so they thought, all right, maybe we need to unite and come together and fight against Joshua and Israel. But the Gibeonites, they heard this. And they were like, yeah, we're afraid, but I don't know if we want to unite and, with you guys and fight against them. Maybe we'd just be better off if we became allies with them, allies with Joshua and the Israelites. But they knew that that was forbidden, that Joshua could not become allies or enter into a treaty with anyone in those areas, that territory that he was told to possess. He could only enter into a treaty with people from far off countries. So the Gibeonites thought, okay, so how do we do this? Because he can't really enter into a treaty with us. So we'll pretend that we're from a far country. 
And we'll deceive them into thinking that's who we are, and then we'll enter into a treaty and a covenant with them. And so they put old sacks and wineskins on their donkeys, and they found old clothes that had been patched up, and they put them on, and old sandals, and they put dust all over them. And then they thought, okay, well, you know, if you're coming to see Joshua, you should take something, so we'll take him some food, but let's make it like old, stale, moldy food so that he thinks we've been traveling for a really long time, and we can tell him it was fresh when we left, but now it's all stale. And so they scheme and plot this whole plan to deceive Joshua and the children of Israel. And so they come, and they act like they've been traveling forever. And they come and they say, here we are. We're from a far country. Make a covenant with us. We want to be your allies. And some of the children of Israel say, well, how do we know you're really from a far country? Well, just look at us. Look at our clothes. Look at, look at all of our, our luggage on these donkeys, how old and dusty everything is. We've been traveling. Oh, and here's the food we brought you. Sorry, it's a little old and stale and moldy by now because we've been traveling for such a long time. And they kept insisting they were from a far country. And then they said, and we have heard of all the miraculous things that God has done for you. And we just, we want to be part of that. We want to create a treaty with you. And so, without asking for counsel from the Lord, Joshua made a covenant with them. And when they entered that covenant, he's saying, okay, we're not going to attack you. We're going we're gonna to be allies. You will live. You will not die. And so they enter into this covenant. And then three days later, the children of Israel discover that these people they just entered this treaty with, they're not from a far-off country. These are the Gibeonites. These are their neighbors. And they had been deceived. And so they said, why have you done this? Why have you deceived us? And in chapter 9, verse 24, they told Joshua they deceived them because they were very afraid. And so Joshua says, all right, well, we'll let you live because now before God we have to honor this covenant that we have made with you. But you're going to be our slaves. You're going to be the woodcutters. You're going to be the water carriers. Joshua should have consulted God before he entered into that covenant with them. And we're going to continue on and see a little bit more about this story and this encounter with the Gibeonites. But before we continue on there, I want to just stop for a moment and just talk about how very, very important it is that we consult God with the decisions of life. We all make so many decisions every day. We need to be consulting God with the decisions of life. Joshua made a major decision without consulting God. Now, you would think that he would have learned after his little mistake at Ai where he didn't consult God and they rushed into battle and they were defeated. You would have thought he would have learned from that and he would have stopped and consulted God. But 
He didn't. And Joshua was this amazing man of courage, but he wasn't perfect. So let's learn from his mistakes. You know, in this scene with the Gibeonites, he is just coming off of the second battle at Ai, where they saw this amazing victory. And then after that, they stopped and they renewed their covenant with God. And they just rededicated their lives, consecrated their lives before God. So here's Joshua. He's so excited. He says God's doing great things. He's ready to go on to possess the next territory. And then these unexpected visitors arrive. You know, he may have been relishing in that last victory that they just saw. He may have just been on a mission. Okay, God did that, now let's go on, let's do what's next. We're possessing the land, let's go, let's take the next territory. We don't have time to stop here, okay, these visitors are here, okay, but we gotta go, 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 go. Anybody ever get in a hurry to go, go, go? <laughs> it's possible that he may have just assumed that these people were sent by God to increase their army. But whatever was going on in his mind, he didn't consult God, and he wound up in a covenant relationship with people who God intended for him to conquer. When we relish in our successes, we tend to think that we're all that. And we get excited. Oh, how awesome that was. Okay, let's go on. Oh, we can do the next thing. And we don't stop and consult God. And when we get so busy and focused on our mission and what's the next thing and the next thing, we get too busy to stop and consult God. Anybody in here ever get busy? ever get focused on the next thing on your to-do list and we go 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 we can't get too busy to consult God sometimes we can think that seemingly good things are God things you know it may have seemed like a good thing that these people came from a far country oh my goodness it's gonna um, cause our army to increase and strengthen. This is a great thing. Okay, it must be a God thing. But not all seemingly good things are God things. We've got to stop and consult him first. Otherwise, we wind up in a mess. Let's be women who learn to consult God with the decisions of life, especially decisions of who we align ourselves with as our allies. Amen? All right. That was a freebie, so now back to the story of the Gibeonites. Okay, in chapter 10 of Joshua, we see now that they have entered into this covenant and they, the Israelites and Joshua realize who these people are, now, the next thing that happens is five kings of these major territories that Joshua and the children of Israel are about to go in and possess, they are really fearful. They hear of Joshua's victories in battle, and now they've heard that the Gibeonites 
have united with the Israelites. So now they know that the Israelites' army is even bigger and stronger. And they're thinking, what are we going to do? We've got to do something. They're terrified. And so they decide to attack the Gibeonites in order to weaken Israel's army. And so the Gibeonites catch wind of this, and they send word to Joshua. And they say, help, remember us, your servants? Help, come quickly, come. Don't abandon us now. Come, we need your help. All these kings have united to fight against us. Come and help us. And so Joshua stopped to listen to God and honoring his covenant with the Gibeonites, he heard from God and the Lord told him, do not fear, I have delivered them into your hand. So Joshua assembled troops to come and help the Gibeonites. And they marched all night and they planned a surprise attack on all the Amorite armies. And the Amorites panicked when they attacked. And the Israelites slaughtered them and chased them into the next territory, slaughtering more, chasing them into territory after territory, killing them with the sword. And then the Lord sent a crazy hailstorm that killed the rest of them. And it says that the hailstorm killed even more than they killed by the sword. Have any of you been in a hailstorm that could kill people? That had to have been quite a hailstorm. I remember one time I was in Arizona visiting family, and there was the worst hailstorm I've ever been in, and it literally sounded like bowling balls hitting the house. So I don't know, maybe that could, maybe that could have killed people, but this had to have been a really insane hailstorm. And the hailstorm killed even more people than the Israelites killed with the sword. And so the people of the Amorite armies, they're running in all directions, and dusk was approaching, and Joshua prayed. And this is what he prayed. He said, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. Wow, what a prayer. What a prayer to tell the sun to stand still and not go down. And do you know what happened? In Joshua 10, verse 13, it says, So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? In other words, this is even written in secular accounts. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Wow, what courage to have the faith to pray a prayer like that. Joshua's prayer was incredibly significant because it wasn't just about needing more daylight for the battle. The Amorite armies who they were fighting, do you know who they worshipped? The sun and the moon were their gods. And so Joshua prayed this prayer 
as a way of saying, okay, God, reveal your power. Show off your power. Show off that you are the one true, holy, living, only, powerful God. And that is exactly what God did. And they saw that what they thought were gods, their gods had no power, were ineffective. They saw the power of God. And as that happened, the five kings of those armies, they saw this happen, and they were even more terrified. The five kings fled and hid in a cave. They were so scared. And all the people are scrambling that were still alive. And so Joshua said, roll a stone over the cave. We'll deal with them later. Let's finish the battle. Finish with these people here. And so they did that. And then when they were done, they came back to that cave and they rolled the stone away. And Joshua had the captains of the armies come and put their foot on the necks of these kings. And that was customary in that day that the victorious king would put his foot on the neck of his defeated enemy. Doesn't God tell us the enemies? Our enemy is under our feet. It's showing us that we have victory over the enemy. So they did this, and then Joshua killed those kings. They were hung and buried in that cave where they were hiding. Now, remember when we started this series, when we started looking at Joshua and our, really our foundation scripture for this season from Joshua 1.9. It says, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In every one of these events of Joshua's life, I think that was that undergirding strength that kept him going. But I want you to notice one particular phrase from that verse. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. You know, we've talked a lot in this season about courage and having the courage to rise up. But we've got to recognize the importance of this phrase right here because it's not a little tap on the shoulder. Oh, go on, be courageous. And by the way, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. No, it's not that. It's a very imperative warning that fear is destructive. Fear will destroy what God wants to do through us. So from this scene of Joshua's encounter with the Gibeonites, I want us to notice some of the destructive features of fear. First of all, fear will cause us to manipulate and control. I want to say that again. Fear will cause us to manipulate and control. The Gibeonites, they feared the children of Israel, and so they decided to deceive them. They tried to control and manipulate the situation through deception. Fear causes us to control, deceive, and manipulate. Think about it. When we fear an outcome that we don't like, 
what do we do? We take matters into our own hands, and then we try to manipulate things to bring about an outcome that we will like, right? The Gibeonites, they didn't like the thought of the Israelites attacking them, so they took control and manipulated them to become their allies. Decisions made out of fear never turn out as we expect. The Gibeonites became their slaves. Their plan didn't quite work out the way they thought it was going to. When we control and manipulate circumstances, they will never produce a God result. Think about this. How can action motivated by everything contrary to the nature of God, which is what fear is, how can action motivated by everything contrary to God's nature produce a God result? It can't. So let's think about it in our daily lives. Because sometimes we allow fear to cause us to be controlling, manipulative. No, no, nobody here, of course, you probably know someone, maybe. <laughs> But you know, it's not just in the big, major things of life. Sometimes it's in the little things. Just fear of not getting our way. We like to get our way. And so sometimes when we think we're not going to, we're afraid we're not going to get our way, what do we do? We manipulate to get our way. We persuade, we cry, we throw a little fit, or we sweet talk, or bribe or whatever we do to try to get our way. It's manipulation. Maybe you fear you're not going to be able to do something you want to do. I remember one time going shopping with a woman and she was purchasing something and we got to the uh, cashier and she said, okay, I want to put, I'm going to give you this amount in cash, and then I'm going to write a check for this amount, and then I want to put this amount on a card, and then this amount on another card, and then this amount on a third card. <laughs> and I was standing there thinking, what are you doing? And she looked at me, and she said, oh, you know, you just got to spread it out a little bit, and then he'll never know. That's deception. Okay. I did not share that for you to get ideas, all right? That is deception. That is controlling. That is manipulation to be able to, to get your way. That is not godly behavior, all right? We need to understand this. You know, maybe in a job situation, maybe there's going to be some layoffs and you're afraid you're going to lose your job. Some people might go to the manager, the boss, whoever's going to make the decisions and try to present themselves and promote themselves and, you know, give all these reasons why they shouldn't be the one laid off. But, you know, Susie over there now, you know, she's not always on top of the, her game and she's not always having her ducks in a row. And, you know, if anyone should be laid off, maybe. And we try to manipulate circumstances. Fear produces controlling, manipulative behavior. And we've got to recognize that and refuse fear in our lives. Another thing we see in this story 
is that fear will lead to pride and self-promotion. You know, the five kings, they made a decision to unite and fight the Gibeonites and Joshua and his army. I mean, they had a promise from God that Joshua and his army, and they think they're going to fight against him? I mean, they had to have had the attitude, well, they're not going to possess our land. We can take them. A little pride there, maybe. A little self-seeking. And their efforts ended in defeat. You might be sitting there thinking, well, wasn't that courageous to fight? No. Because true courage stems out of a promise from God. You know, we can grab any little whim and idea that we want to and say, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to be very courageous and just watch me. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. We get all our little ideas and get all excited. But if it's not from God, it will most likely end in defeat. You see, fleshly courage is based on our desire and it can so easily be filled with pride and self-promotion. Now think back with me for a moment in this study, because we've seen fear produce a lot of other things as well. Remember when the spies went in to spy out the land? Fear will cause us to see ourselves as small and incapable. Isn't that how? Ten of those spies saw themselves. They said, well, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Fear will cause us to see ourselves in a way contrary to how God sees us. Fear will cause us to see ourselves as incapable of pursuing what God has for us. Another thing, fear will cause us to run from God's purposes for our life. Those spies, they're like, no, we can't go in, into the promised land. Let's run the other direction. We're afraid. Fear will prevent us from walking into the promises that God has for us, the life that he has for us. Fear will also cause us to put walls around our lives. Remember at Jericho? Jericho was a walled city. And they put up those walls because of fear of the Israelites. And for 40 years, they lived behind those walls. And it wasn't just like walls and there was this thriving city inside there. No, they lived inside the walls, huddled in fear for 40 years. Fear will cause us to put walls around our lives. But Rahab refused to stay in that fear. And she pushed through those walls. God's purposes for our lives will always be connected to others. We can't afford to put up walls. So often fear causes us to put up walls and we think they're protecting us. They're not protecting us. They're keeping us from what God has for us. Fear will cause us to isolate ourselves. In Proverbs 18:1, it says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound judgment. It is not wise to isolate ourselves. Fear causes us to isolate. Ladies, we've got to realize fear is a destroyer of courage. It is impossible to be courageous when we are overtaken by fear. 
Remember in Joshua 1.9, it said, be not afraid or dismayed. It wouldn't say that if it wasn't true that fear would come. So fear will come, but we will either overtake the fear or the fear will overtake us. We can overtake fear and rise up with courage when we have a promise from God. True courage, not fleshly courage. True courage is based on a word, on a promise from God, the one who is incapable of lying. If he said it, it will absolutely come to pass. We can be assured of that. The assurance that we get from God's promises causes our faith to expand. And then we just have this supernatural courage to walk out that faith knowing that God is with us, that he's fighting for us. Look at what happened when Joshua had the courage to enter into that battle with the Amorite kings that were coming against the Gibeonites. He had a word from God. He had a promise from God. And when our decisions are based on God's promises to us, we are never alone. He is always with us. In Joshua 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. All right, now we talked about this in the story earlier. Joshua has this word from God to go, and that God's going to deliver these people into his hand. And so the armies go, they have this surprise attack. Now who is it that's fighting them, that's slaughtering them, that's chasing them from one place to the next to the next? It's Joshua and the Israelites, right? They're the ones doing it. That's what it looks like. But this verse here says, so the Lord routed them before Israel and killed them with a great slaughter and chased them. The Lord was the one doing it through Joshua, through the Israelites. When we have a promise from God, we can be assured that we are never alone. He's with us. He's working through us. When our decisions are based on God's promises to us, he is not only with us, but he fights for us. In verse 11, it says, And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Wow. When we have a promise from God, we can be assured that not only is he with us and he's using us and, and helping us to do our part, but we can be assured that he's going to do his part. However, he finds a way to do that. We might not expect a hailstorm, but God will do whatever it takes. God will do something miraculous. He is fighting for us. 
When our decisions are based on God's promises, we can be assured that he will hear and he will answer our prayers. He told the sun and the moon to stand still, and they did. See, ladies, we cannot afford to let fear sabotage our courage. A life of courage stemming from God's promises will always carry us into our future. And a life of courage will always impact so many others as a result. So we've got to recognize, are there areas of our life where we've been fearful? Where we've been afraid to step out? Where God's been nudging our heart and we're holding back in fear? Are there areas of our life that we're just worrying over and fearful about? We've got to recognize those things. And then we need to ask ourselves, do I have a promise from God? Do you have a promise from God for that area? Is it something that you're just really wanting to do and you're not sure if it's a promise from God? If that's the case, I encourage you to just give it to God and say, okay, Father, this is, this is what I'm thinking, this is what's in my heart, but I need to know clearly from you, and I give it to you, and I just put it in your hands. And you know what promise you can cling to? The word says that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it liberally. That's a promise to us. So we can put it into his hands and say, God, give me wisdom, and show me how to go forward here if this is something you're asking me to do or not. Maybe you have something that he's been nudging your heart to do, and you have a clear word from him, a clear promise from him. Dig your teeth into it. Wrap your heart and your faith around it and go after it courageously because if he said it, he is with you, he is fighting for you, he will hear and answer your prayers. Okay? Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know, I just have these things that I'm worrying over, like, like a, a relationship or, or finances or health. Did you know that the Word of God is full of promises for every situation that we will encounter? Dig in. Find a promise in His Word. Find what His Word is saying. Maybe the Bible is new to you. Stop in the bookstore, get one of our God's Promises books that, that lists God's promises for all different areas and situations of life. Find a promise from God and dig into it. Meditate on it. Let it become part of who you are. We can't afford to live in fear. Fear will sabotage what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to live courageous lives, but true courage only stems out of a promise from Him. Because when we have a promise from Him, it is true. He is faithful to His Word, and He will see it to completion. So whatever area you've been battling fear in, if you have a promise from God, there is no need to fear. And if you don't have a promise from God, ask him, seek him, 
find one and then hold onto it and go forward courageously. Okay? All right. Joshua and the Israelites, they continued to fight one battle after the next after the next until they possessed all the, the land that the Lord had promised to them. And in the, the final scenes of Joshua's life, in chapter 23 of Joshua, he calls all the leaders of Israel together. And he says to them, remember, remember what God has done. Never lose sight of it. Never forget what God has done, all the victories, all the miracles, and live a life that's faithful to him and obedient to him. And then in chapter 24, he calls together all the tribes of Israel. He gathers them, and then God speaks through him. God gives him a word for them, and God reminds them of everything that has transpired from the time of Abraham through possessing the promised land. And then he urges them over and over, serve the Lord. And that serve the Lord literally means to have an exclusive allegiance to God. Serve the Lord. Don't serve anyone else. Don't serve any other gods. Remember what he's done. Be faithful to him. And in verse 15 of chapter 24, he says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. The gods of your fathers or in the lands around you? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people responded to Joshua and they said, we will serve the Lord. And maybe you're here today and maybe serving the Lord, giving your life to him, having that personal relationship and connection with him. Maybe that's something you've not ever done. Maybe you know others who have, but maybe for you, you haven't experienced that yet. You know, I believe that God is just standing before you today and just saying, Choose who you will serve. Who will you serve? Will you serve the God of, of maybe family members and, and other gods that they've served? Will you, will you serve the gods of this world and the, worship the things that the world worships? Or will you serve me, the one true, holy, living, powerful God? The one who created you longs to have personal relationship with you and walk out every day with you and lead you into victory after victory, lead you into the promised land for all that he created you for here on this earth and then the assurance of spending eternity in heaven with him. And all we have to do is open our hearts to him. And I want to pray with you this morning. And would you just close your eyes and just bow your heads where you're at? Maybe that's you. And maybe you say, okay, today is my day. I just encourage you. 
to be courageous and say, yeah, today is my day. To choose God for yourself. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And as we pray together this morning, I want you to just wrap your heart around these words, if that's you, and just say this from your heart. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're my Father, that you created me, that you love me, that you want to walk out life each day with me. And God, I want that. So I surrender to you. I surrender to my way of independent living. And I choose to live in relationship with you. And I commit my life to you today. And I ask you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Help me to walk out relationship with you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.